0: Welcome back to another episode of the Educational 80 Podcast. We'll be right back with today's guest, but we want to give a shout out to our podcast partners, the Florida Coaches Coalition, We Coach, and the global community of women in high school sports. Check these great organizations out and uh, see how they can help you. And now, please stay with us. Don't hit that fast forward button. Uh, let's hear a quick word from our podcast sponsors. We want to say thanks to Sideline Interactive, indoor scoring tables and video boards. One of the best purchases I ever made was our Sideline Interactive score table. We use it for home games, of course, but we also use it for pep rallies, for signing ceremonies. Their products are tremendously versatile, and their customer service is just outstanding. Go to SidelineInteractive.com and schedule a live web demo and see their tables and boards in action. That's SidelineInteractive.com. We also want to thank Hometown Ticketing, the leading digital ticketing provider to schools and colleges. Go to HometownTicketing.com. They're going to show you how to set up and sell your tickets online, not just for athletic events, but for concerts, for plays, for dances, even graduation. Hometown will also set you up with a dedicated client success manager to provide hands-on support every step of the way. That's every step of the way. Go to HometownTicketing.com to get started. Hometown Ticketing, simple and easy online ticketing. We also want to thank Snap Mobile. Snap Mobile has a variety of platforms. Snap Raise is the fundraising platform that we've used with great success, and you can too. They've helped schools just like yours raise over $700 million. They even have a program where you can get your funding before you actually start your fundraiser. I don't think anyone else does that. Go to SnapRaise.com. Check out their entire suite of platforms. That's SnapRaise.com. We also want to thank Gipper. Go to Gipper.com, see how athletic directors are creating world-class marketing content for their school. You can do it in seconds on any device, and you don't need any design experience. Use our podcast code ADPOD10 and get 10% off. That's Gipper.com. Create custom content for your school's social media channel. We also want to thank Wall of Fame by Vital Signs. They're going to bring your school's legacy to life. The Wall of Fame is an interactive touchscreen console that uh, sits on the wall of your school highlighting your top performers, both past and present, in athletics, academics, and the arts. But it's so much more than that. The Wall of Fame is an extensive content program that helps you every step of the way, allowing you to tell more compelling stories that will better engage your audience. Go to vitalsignswalloffame.com for more information and... Go to vital signs, wall of fame.com slash jake and get a five percent discount off your Wall of Fame purchase. Check them out today. We also want to say thanks to Huddle. Go to huddle.com and change the way you see the game. As an athletic director, I made sure our school was a Huddle school, and the tools that they provided helped our teams, our coaches, and our athletes play at the highest level. Huddle provides a complete solution with a professional grade analysis. Go to huddle.com and see why we believe in sports and teams believe in Huddle. Join the 6 million users and find out how to turn your school into a Huddle school. We also want to thank Final Forms for their support. Final Forms can help your stakeholders, your coaches, and you as an athletic director do your job better. For parents, They've got things like reminders for physical expiration dates. For coaches, they can help with coaches' certification and communication with their teams. And for athletic directors, they can help you with all the reports that come across your desk. You know, it's time that you talk to someone who's walked in your shoes, someone who gets it. To take those next steps, go to finalforms.com slash Jake. That's finalforms.com slash Jake and get started with Final Forms. And we want to say thanks to Athletic Surveys by Lifetrack. Athletic Surveys are a quick, easy, and affordable way for you to collect comprehensive data that allows you to evaluate and improve your entire program. Athletic directors typically only hear from that 2% who um, want to gripe, that squeaky wheel parent, or maybe it's a frustrated athlete. And we need to hear from that 2%. But you also need to hear from that 98% that really love and support your program because that's a tremendously valuable tool to have when you're talking with that disgruntled parent or maybe your principal or your school board. Go to AthleticSurveys.com and let them help you take the pulse of your student-athletes and your parents. That's AthleticSurveys.com. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Educational AD Podcast. I know I say this just about every episode, but we've got a really cool guest today. Uh, our guest is Nathan Whitaker. Uh, if you haven't heard of Nathan, you might have—you uh, know—been living under a rock. He is, uh, among other things, he's a best-selling author multiple times and has collaborated with uh, people like Tony Dungy on uh, his best-selling books. He's a sought after speaker and presenter on a national and a world stage. He's also um, able to say this. He's a Super Bowl winner. And, you know, we're going to hear a lot about that and some other things. But uh, Nathan Whitaker, welcome to the Educational AD podcast. Jake, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, again, you and I were talking, we connected through a mutual friend uh, and uh, excited to have what I call uh, an A-lister come to our podcast. So uh, let's go and jump right in. We always like to let our listeners have a chance to get to know our guests. So... Give us a little uh, biographical information, where you were born, where you grew up. Uh, Obviously, you know, playing sports in high school, Uh, you've got a pretty good college uh, sports experience to share. So maybe take us up through that point uh, when you left uh, college and then we'll uh, take a quick break and come back and hear about uh, some of your earlier career exploits. But what's the Nathan Whitaker origin story? Well, I'm
1: currently in Gainesville, Florida, which is uh, where I started. Uh, born in St. Pete, sixth generation Floridian, but by the time I was three, we had moved to Gainesville. And of course, that makes our introduction even that much more ironic in that Nick DeForest in Austria, of all places, connected you in Orlando and me in Gainesville. So, uh, so we connected via Europe uh, from two hours away from each other. But I grew up in Gainesville, huge Gator fan, went to every sporting event, um, really a great, you know, watching Stranger Things, right? Everybody, I mean, we jumped on our bikes and rode to Florida baseball games and locked our our bikes up against the fence and then, and then walked in and watched the UF play that or walked to football games, went to every football game, went to Auburn, went to LSU, went to Kentucky as a kid growing up to see the Gators play. And so just a huge Florida sports fan. And uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, um, as the case may be, loved playing, but um, am tall, thin. Uh, I had a college coach say, you know, we're just going to let you grow into your frame. And we've discovered that I never did. Um, and so I uh, I played. I was recruited to play um, baseball, mostly at kind of the Ivies and Davidson and some places like that. The biggest school that was interested in me was Duke. And so despite wanting to go to Florida and be a Gator and all that, uh, ended up at Duke and, uh, as a baseball player and then walked on in football and the coach who had been talking to me about walking on in football was, um, Steve Sloan and his, uh, offensive coordinator was Tommy Bowden, who went on to coach at Clemson and coach Sloan retired, um, and went to become an athletic director at Alabama. Right as I was arriving on campus, and so they hired a, a guy I'd certainly heard of here in Gainesville, Steve Spurrier, to be our new head coach. So it was quite a uh, quite an existence. I played baseball only for a year. A brand new coach came in as well in that sport, so I only played one year there, and then played four years of football. and uh, And so it was a, a really unique time for me, a neat experience to be around that. We won the ACC, and I used to wear that ring all the time. But uh, as you jumped ahead, I actually usually wear my uh, Super Bowl ring now if I'm speaking instead of my ACC championship ring, but I'm awfully proud of both. So that kind of gets us up through, uh, you know, the only thing I've left out, if you want to hear it, is how little I played. We could go through every single play I played in in college and still not extend the length of your podcast. So that was my experience.
0: Well, uh, again, I I joke uh, that, uh, you know, I I played small college football and and I joke, I say injuries and a lack of talent uh, kept me out of the NFL, Uh, (laughs) but uh, had to be a great experience. Talk a little bit about uh, Coach Spurrier. I mean, you know, that was one of his, you know, uh, you know, stepping stones, I guess. But again, everywhere he went, he had great success. How uh, how was Coach Spurrier back in those Duke days?
1: He was fantastic. And of course, as you would expect, and I just saw him four days ago, they they named a street after him here in Gainesville. And so I got to go to that and he's always at the podium and he sees me and he, and he nods and he'll always say, and you know, don't forget about Duke that he is so appreciative to, uh, to that because he was out of coaching. He had finished his per- professional career and then had, had worked a couple of times as a graduate assistant quarterback's coach and both staffs had gotten fired. And then he got the head job as the, uh, as the head coach of the Tampa Bay bandits in the old USFL. And of course they were doing great. And it was, I, I think it was Airball or air attack or something had, I mean, if coach, of coach, of course coach Spurrier's throwing it all over the field and the bandits were great. And then the league folds and he's out of work and he's selling real estate in Tampa and Duke's athletic director hired coach Spurrier from, um, from selling real estate in Tampa. And so Coach Spurrier has always been very appreciative of that, very openly so. Um, As an aside, uh, the Duke athletic director at the time made two hires that people criticized. One was Steve Spurrier, one was Coach K, uh, who hadn't had a ton of success at Army going into uh, the Duke job. So he was pretty good at evaluating some of those coaches. But it was a great experience with Coach Spurrier. And I think what's relevant about his band experience and all the time he'd spent in the NFL is that he treated us as – professionals looking back we had two team rules Um, one was don't embarrass yourself your uh, family or Duke University which of course you know you can fit anything under that right that you want to as a coach Mm -hmm. but the second was don't wear hats inside and he gave us a lot of latitude and I think it came from the bandits and from his playing days that he really didn't oversee everything um, in a lot of ways and on Saturday he was not big on the pregame pep talk he would say look however we practice during the week is how we're going to play today and we had a good week of practice and we put in our time and conversely he would get very upset during practice and he'd say look we're going to play on Saturday exactly like what we're doing today on Wednesday afternoon and we need to focus and we need to do better and so those were great lessons for me as an 18 19 20 year old to realize that okay all this preparation that nobody sees really matters and uh, and that we're not going to necessarily just somehow turn it up on Saturday on game day and do something different than we've been doing. So it was a really unique time and a great experience. And and he was a blast to be around and he took great pride. You know, he worked hard and the like, but he also was one of the pioneers at a time when other coaches were starting to sleep at the office and do those things in the eighties and, and, and hold themselves out at that. He took great pride in the fact that reporters would see him on the golf course on Friday afternoon, and then he would go with their his counterparts on Saturday afternoon. So, um so anyway, it was a, it was a neat time playing for Coach. Uh,
0: I, I, it's got to be great. I, I've had the pleasure of hearing him speak a number of times, but uh, very cool. Thanks for sharing that for our listeners. Uh, our guest today is Nathan Whitaker, He's a best-selling author, um consultant, speaker, and uh, again uh, a Super Bowl winner. Uh, we're going to hear about that and more. Let's take our first break. This is the Educational AD Podcast. We want to say thanks to Sideline Interactive indoor scoring tables and video boards. You've heard me say before, we have a Sideline Interactive indoor score table in our gym, and it's just fantastic. We use it for home games, of course, but we also use it for pep rallies, for signing ceremonies. Their products are tremendously versatile, and their customer service is just outstanding. Go to sidelineinteractive.com. Schedule a live web demo and see their tables and boards in action. That's sidelineinteractive.com. We also want to thank Hometown Ticketing, the leading digital ticketing provider to schools and colleges. Go to hometownticketing.com. They will show you how to set up and sell your tickets, not just for athletic events, but for things like school plays, concerts, uh, school dances, even graduation. They'll show you how to scan the attendees that come to your games and collect your revenue. And every step of the way, you'll have a dedicated client success manager that's providing hands-on support. That's every step of the way. Go to hometownticketing.com to get started. Hometown Ticketing. Simple and easy online ticketing. Welcome back, everyone, to the Educational AD Podcast. Our guest is Nathan Whitaker, uh, national, international speaker, motivational author, and uh, um, you know, uh, world traveler. Okay? Um, Nathan, you were just sharing with us, um, you know, your experience at Duke University as a student athlete. Had to be a tremendous experience there. Um, after you um, finish your college playing career, uh, I'm going to guess like me, the NFL wasn't calling. Uh, so, uh, what were some of those early career stops that that kind of led up to where you are now with the Whitaker Company?
1: Yeah, so you know, it's just as a as an aside to to touch on that piece about the NFL not calling. I ended up kicking off twice in four years. That was what I played. And then in baseball, as I mentioned, I played a year. I bat, I had 31 at-bats. I played in half the games and, and so on and so forth. Yet still, even as all that was developing, and this may just be part of the mindset that I had or maybe the mindset of, of a young athlete or whatever, I fully thought that I was going to have a shot at playing in the minors or maybe going to the combine or something. And I was so far from that. Um, at one point they came and asked us, you know, we had a team meeting and somebody from the outside came in and said, how many of you guys are going to play after college? And, you know, 70% of the hands went up. I mean, this is not Alabama, right? This is Duke 1989, 90. Um, so it was, it's interesting. And even had a conversation with my dad where at one point, you know, I, I wasn't doing great in school. I was doing okay. Um, but I said, look, I've got a higher GPA than the average team GPA. And he's like, you know, how about we do as as well as we can and then let everything else kind of figure it out as we go and it was a great uh, great lesson you know I've had a bunch of great lessons so ended up doing better and then that opened doors for me to uh, once I was clearly not going to go professional to go to Harvard Law School and so I uh, I attended there I graduated from there in 1994 and ended up clerking for a federal judge he just passed away a couple of months ago but he was appointed by President Nixon and was on the bench for um, 30 some odd years. And my dad had actually clerked for him in the 70s. I clerked for him in the 90s. And then a, a piece of information that'll be relevant to the rest of my story is that Rich McKay, the current president of the Atlanta Falcons, former GM of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, clerked for Judge Hodges in the 80s, uh, in between me and my dad. Um, so I got a chance to, to work for Judge Hodges, who was an amazing mentor, and then practiced law for a couple of years and discovered that I really missed sports and so knocked on a bunch of doors, got an offer from the Jacksonville Jaguars and spent three years with the Jaguars. And I worked, uh, they needed somebody, it was June, and they needed somebody to take over team travel that the uh, team travel person had left. And they said, we know you don't know anything about this, but we need you to just handle this for the season, then we'll get you out of that. And and so that was an interesting experience. And, and I still talk about that uh, to this day in my talks about owning your role. And it being a role that i was not very good at and i'm not terribly organized and some of the people who are i'm I'm much more the writing creative whichever side of the brain that is and the people type mind where everything's filed away and whatever that's that's not me so it was a season of really learning um to overcome some of those things that i wasn't very good at and didn't love um you know standing on a curb at 5 a.m to make sure the buses were there um, I'm standing there at times going, I, w- I went to Harvard Law School to stand in the cold, dark in Cincinnati to make sure the buses are here, um, but it was a good experience. They then got me into uh, doing more cap work and player personnel work, and then after two more years there, uh, Rich McKay in Tampa brought me over to the Buccaneers where I spent three years with the Bucks. and it was my first year was with Tony Dungy, and Tony tells everybody we worked together for two years, and I have to remind him it was one really, really, really long year that we were together. And then Tony was fired. Coach Gruden came on, spent two years with Coach Gruden, the first of which was when we won the uh, Super Bowl. And then I was there one more year. We didn't make the playoffs. Uh, Bruce Allen came in as general manager to replace Rich McKay. Bruce cleaned out the lot of us who were there. And uh, and that's when I headed on to other things. And so I, I had an offer from the Seahawks, a uh, chance to go to the Bears and the Falcons, and, and thought uh, I didn't go to law school to uh, change jobs every three years. So tried to figure out what was next
0: boy. Um, again, I, I mentioned earlier that you've, um, uh, you know, collaborated with Tony Dungy on a, a, a couple of books. Uh, obviously that was an impactful long year. Uh, talk a little bit about that experience. You know, how did that relationship develop to where you, uh, uh, collaborated on it? A, a number of successful books. Right. So, um,
1: 3 years with Tom Coughlin in Jacksonville was I really appreciate coach Coughlin and his approach to things um but then getting to Tampa with Tony and his kids are running up and down the halls and they're doing homework there every afternoon and I had a young daughter at the time and all of a sudden it was this just this great environment for for our family to be in and a great experience and, and so here we are two, three, four months, we've bought a house, and all of a sudden, there are rumors that if the Bucs don't do well this year, they kept losing in the wild card round of the Eagles, and if the Bucs don't do better this year, that Tony may be fired, and so I'm up in arms, and and everything was going so well, and I thought, this can't be ending this soon, and so I was totally stressed out at times, as were others in the front office and, and uh, other coaches, And Tony never was. I was with him every Monday when we'd go over the game film and we'd talk as a staff about what the players were doing, where our personnel issues were, whatever was going on. And he just never was any different in private than he was in public. And so I actually uh, was with him late in the season. We were together alone. And I said, coach, I really appreciate your witness in light of this circus that's been going on. And Tony just immediately looked at me and he, as as Tony does, he he was ready. We'd already thought through it, I guess. And he was ready with an answer. And he said, Nathan, I can't help but think that there are times when God wants there to be a circus so that people can see there's another way to respond. And which amazing answer, you know, it would have been an amazing answer to say, you know, tough times don't last, but tough people do or you know, this has been a pain, but I'm just supposed to work through it or it's a growth, whatever. But his response wasn't any, it was, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. And it's supposed to be hard and it's supposed to be painful. And it was just so enlightening to have him say that. And so we had, sure enough, two weeks later, we lose to the Eagles up in Philly in the playoffs. He gets fired. Coach Gruden comes on. And I found myself self looking back at that moment and thinking that was a transformative moment for me, given all the stress, all the anxiety, all the things I felt half the coaches lost their jobs. I didn't explain to my three-year-old daughter why her babysitter wasn't coming back because it was Jim Caldwell's daughter who lived right behind us. And Jim went with Tony to, to the Colts. And then of course, ended up coaching the Colts. And so trying to explain all those things and sort through those things. And meanwhile, Tony's of the mindset of this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. And it's supposed to be hard at times, and and that's okay.
0: Wow. Uh, what a great story. I, w- I wish we could just do a whole show on that. Um, for our listeners, our guest today is Nathan Whitaker, uh, best-selling author, motivational speaker. Um, we're going to take another quick break, but uh, we're going to hear a lot more. So please stay with us. This is the Educational 80 Podcast. We want to say thank you to Snap Mobile for their support. Snap Mobile is the parent company of an entire suite of platforms designed to help you do your job better. There's Snap Store, Snap Manage, Snap Connect, and Snap Raise is their fundraising platform. We've used it with great success, and they've helped schools just like yours raise over $700 million. They even have a program where you can get your funding before you actually start your fundraiser. I don't think anybody else does that. Go to SnapRays.com. Check out their entire platform. That's <clears throat> SnapRays.com. We also want to say thank you to Gipper. Go to Gipper.com and see how athletic directors and coaches are creating world-class content for their school's social media channels. You can do it in seconds, and you don't need any design experience. It's so easy. Even I can do it. Go to Gipper.com. Tell them you heard about it on the podcast and use our code ADPOD10 and you'll get 10% off. That's gipper.com. Create custom branded content for your school's social media channel. Welcome back everyone to the educational AD podcast. Nathan, we always uh, ask our guests to share some of the mentors that they've had in their lives. None of us get to where we're at on our own. Um, so who are some of the people that have helped you along the way that the expression I always use is, I still hear their voices in my head. So uh, whose voice do you mm. still hear?
1: Yeah, let me let me actually jump into it this way if I could. I spoke to the Miami Dolphins a um, few years ago. And the week before I got there, they were supposed to write thank yous to five people who had helped them along the way, five of their mentors, if you will. And as I understood initially, the players kind of groused, thought it was kind of silly. And then once they got into it, they really enjoyed it. And so when I came in a week later, I asked them, I said, okay, how many of you wrote to Because people are always saying to me, boy, if I was, or I often think, if only I was, you know, Tony Dungy on the sideline and people were watching me every week or having done a book with Tim Tebow, if only I was Tim Tebow, right? And then then I could really make a difference. And so I asked the guys, you know, how many of you wrote to somebody like Tony or Tim or Michael Jordan or whomever? And of course, you know the answer, right? That none of them did. And that doesn't take away from anything that any of those guys did, but- Instead, they wrote to the same people that were mentors for me. Right, my parents were a huge deal for me growing up. I, I was so blessed to have great parents um, who really built values into me and and made sure that I was kind of on the right track. Judge Hodges, who I mentioned before, who was always very clear about you know making sure we were doing the right thing by way of the taxpayers, by way of the litigants, by way of whomever was involved. And he would, if we ever kind of would go astray, he would pull out the constitution and remind us where our duties lie uh, or lay, or I've never learned. The difference. I should, As a writer, I should know lie versus lay. And so, um, and, and then coaches, um, my high school baseball coach played a huge role in my life. And I still see him around town as well as coach Spurrier and other coaches that I've had along the way. And I think we need to, Keep that in mind, at least for me, as I move forward, that it's the coaches and the other people who are around the neighbor next door, the other folks who really build into our lives and make a huge difference and not sell ourselves short that, well, if only I was Tim Tebow or if only I was Tony Dungy, then really I could be a mentor for somebody or I could really change somebody's life. Reality is that we all are in a position to do that. And that's certainly been true for me and all those Dolphins players.
0: Yeah, it's so true. You know, the, um, you know, our parents, uh, you know, those coaches that we had, um, you know, I had a coach in high school, he was, it was his first year right out of college. So so he's, you know, you know, five, six years older than me. But uh, to this day, you know, he's still, you know, coaching baseball and traveling the world. He was just down in Ecuador, you know, working with their uh, youth team and we're friends on Facebook. So you're right there, these life, lasting, you know, life-changing uh impact on us. Um appreciate you sharing that. Uh mm-hmm. if you can, let's go back to uh that Super Bowl season. Um you know how did that all play out? You know, what are what are the, the uh the memories that you take away from that that again you're still sharing today uh when you speak to audiences.
1: Right. Um yeah and with the Super Bowl just having recently passed um that's always a um Fresh in my mind, um, even 20 years later, it was a great experience. And what was interesting looking back, you know, there are people who say, boy, you won it with Tony's team or others who, and and I don't know that there's really a a clear, um, easy explanation. We had a lot of the pieces in place when Tony was there and then coach Gruden took over and coach Gruden did a lot of really good things that year. Uh, One of the things we had that I think carried over from Tony was, I mean, of course, an incredible defense. Great defensive staff that stayed on, uh, but Tony had developed that defense, kind of taking bits and pieces he had learned with the Vikings, things that he had taken from the Steelers, and put that together. And then that was there was a fantastic defense with Sapp and Brooks and Barber and you know Lynch and I mean actual NFL Hall of Famers, let alone um, Buck greats. But so we had that, and then we also had a very player led leadership group. And that we just had some very strong leaders. And so through the transition uh, from Coach Dungey to Coach Gruden, it still was a player-led team in a lot of ways, and not to take away from the leadership of either one of those. But Tony had spent six years there in Tampa um, speaking quietly, and when he was upset, speaking even more quietly. And the players learned, okay, here's what we need to do, and here's how we need to conduct ourselves. And that really carried over into that Super Bowl year. And then I think Coach Gruden brought – he brought one, a great energy that I think that, you know, maybe that that boost was probably um, a good thing. And that one of the interesting things was that Monty Kiffin was our defensive coordinator and Monty and John would both, John was the offensive coordinator in addition to head coach, and they would both sprint to practice. And every practice had at least one session of the ones going against the ones. And they would, they were bound and determined to beat the other guy. And so there was an amazing energy that came kind of back to the days with Coach Spurrier talking about how you play, how you practice is going to be how you play. Our practices were incredibly spirited, a uh, lot of focus, a lot of energy. And and so I think that I think he did that very well. And then the other thing that I I tell folks is I was um, in the coach's box during games. I was helping with replays because they all had a function of what they needed to do during the game. And so I would just be kind of watching the game, watching the monitor. And I would kind of blurt out, Hey, he might've had both feet in, take a look and the coaches would kind of do that. And uh, so anyway, any blown calls, any blown challenges were probably my fault that those couple of seasons, but I would hear occasionally on the headset um, coach Gruden would say, Hey, you know, what do you guys think of this call? And, and he'd make a play call and, and during the regular season, there was some hit, some hits and misses and once the playoffs started every time he said that it was gain of 40, touchdown, big first down, whatever, he was just he did an amazing job calling games, knowing what was coming, thinking three steps ahead. So it was an interesting season to see that leadership piece from the players come through, the energy and the spirit come through from and then also just kind of some tactics um also pay off. So it was a it was a lot of fun to talk about experience San Diego was that's where the Super Bowl was where we beat the Raiders. That was fantastic. My wife was, she was seated down low. Um, and they shoot off so much confetti on the sidelines that she couldn't see us on the field. Um, I we had left the coach's box early because we were up by so many that we knew we were going to win and we'd gone down to the sideline. And it was kind of like a wall of confetti. Uh, there was so much there that she couldn't see us. But in some ways, the bigger um the bigger thrill was beating the Eagles up in Philadelphia in the NFC Championship game and knowing that we were going to go to the Super Bowl, that after all, all the all the losses in Philadelphia, and including the painful loss that I felt so acutely that resulted in Tony being fired to go there and win um in the in the final game at Veterans Stadium before they tore it down, uh, was such a thrill. And to fly home and know that, oh my gosh, we went and and we uh we took care of, of that up there was a, was quite a thrill.
0: Oh yeah. It's gotta be just an incredible high. And, and, you know, talking about Tony Dungy, you know, he had his Super Bowl moment, you know, later with the, with the Colts. Okay. Right. Um, Any, uh, any connection there? I'm sure you sent him a congratulatory phone call or text. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, we were,
1: um, we were then very much in touch because I was trying to talk him into writing a book at that point. And so um I had been let go by the Bucks, decided I would write a book. And Tony kept saying, Nobody wants to read about me. I don't know that I have anything to share. And so I was trying to work on some leadership concepts and maybe turn those into a book. So I was constantly visiting with him in Indianapolis, also going to Buffalo and Houston and visiting with some other coaches. Um, but was was in touch with Tony throughout that whole experience and and it was a great experience. And of course, coming off the, the tragedy of of his son's death. Um, Eleven months earlier, a year earlier, um, such a such a challenging time, but so uh, interesting as an outsider, and affirming to watch the Colts pull together um, as a team, as an organization, as a city um, around all those events uh, was gratifying, even though I wasn't directly a part of those.
0: Right. Again, uh, just truly appreciate that insider's look into uh, you know that season and um, again the leadership uh, decisions that were all a part of that. For listeners, uh, our guest is Nathan Whitaker, uh, best-selling author, uh, national, international speaker. We're going to take another quick break and then we're going to hear more about uh, his organization right now, and his authorship, uh, some of the books. So please stay with us. This is the Educational AD Podcast. We want to Take a moment and thank Vital Signs Wall of Fame for their support. You know, their mission is to bring your school's legacy to life. And the Wall of Fame is an interactive touchscreen video console that sits on your wall in your school and highlights your top performers, both past and present in athletics, academics, and the arts. But it's so much more than that. The Wall of Fame is an extensive content program It helps you every step of the way and allows you to tell more compelling stories that will better engage your audience. Go to com and find out more about their products and then use the link com slash Jake and get a 5% discount off your wall of fame purchase. That's com slash Jake. Check them out today. We also want to say thank you to Huddle. Go to huddle.com and change the way you see the game. As a football coach, I used Huddle for years, but as an athletic director, I made sure our school was a huddle school, and Huddle provided our coaches, our teams, and our athletes the tools that they needed to improve. Huddle is a professional-grade solution to the challenges you face as an athletic director. At Huddle, we believe in sports, and teams believe in Huddle. Join the 6 million users and find out how to turn your school into a huddle school. That's Mm huddle.com. Welcome back, everyone, to the Educational AD Podcast. Our guest is Nathan Whitaker. Nathan, we talked a little bit about you know, you've authored a number of books, uh, you know, uh, several of them with Tony Dungy, uh, but you're also uh, a very sought after speaker um maybe talk a little bit about you know your organization some of the services it can provide to our listeners uh how they can get in touch with you all that and then you know again you know how they can get a hold of the books um both personally uh as well as possibly for their coaching staff sure so yeah as i alluded to
1: earlier ended up writing uh tony dungy's book after getting to know tony and having those experiences with him and so we wrote his memoir and that was um, Quiet Strength, which ended up hitting number one on the uh, New York Times bestseller list and just an amazing experience. And then that led into a career in in writing. I thought maybe I'd have to go back, not have to, but maybe I'd go back to the NFL or go back to practicing law or whatever it was. And, and now I've been writing for 16 years and speaking. And so then that has led to other things. As you mentioned, a bunch of books with Tony. Then I've also got the Tim Tebow book that he and I did together. And so just some really neat things. And then that has led to getting a chance to speak. And I've been able to speak on significance, as I mentioned earlier, about mentoring, what it is to be a role model in somebody's life, and how we all can do that and play a part. But then also speak on leadership, team building, other lessons as well. And so I speak to teams all over. As you mentioned, I I went to a conference last year um, in Thailand, where I spoke to athletic directors from around the world. And talk to them about best practices with coaches, ways in which they can help their teams individually, and then their team of coaches, and how they can better uh, accomplish the things they're trying to accomplish. I even went into a uh, <clears throat> into a school uh, in Bangkok, and I've done this elsewhere as well, and talked to the parents and talked to them about why the why play sports, why let your children play sports, and you know, as you know, and and your listeners know. I mean, I learned so many things on the sports fields. And in a setting where it really didn't matter, right? I mean, failing is miserable, and you know, being on the field in a doubleheader um, in American Legion ball. As I'm getting ready to go to Duke, and I'm playing there, and ironically, on the other in the other dugout was Chipper Jones. So maybe that's part of why we didn't have more success against that team from South Florida that uh, we were playing that day. But I went. I was playing shortstop. I went 0 for 6 with six errors. I mean, it just all came together so nicely uh, that day but you start to realize, okay, one, this isn't gonna matter in four, six, five years. It's not even gonna matter in a week. Um, but also you've got to get out of the, you've gotta get off the field, right? And so there's a time after the fifth there where you're going, please, you know, please don't hit it to me, do anything, but hit it to me. And then you have to realize that, wait a minute, I've, I, I'm the only one who can control my mind here. And I've got to figure out a way to get out of this situation and not keep digging. So that I really enjoyed giving that talk as well and talking to parents about why we let our kids play. And it's not about scholarships are great and all those things are great, but really it's about all that I learned for the rest of my life, playing sports that mattered. So that's a lot of the speaking. I do Uh, just, you know, quick plug for these two books. The Mentor Leader was, as I mentioned, when I was trying to develop some leadership concepts, when uh, Tony didn't want to write his life story and he was with the Colts and And he kept saying, nobody wants to read about me. I came up with all these leadership principles. We ended up writing his memoir. And then when that did so well, hit number one, all that, the publisher came back and said, would you have any interest in writing a leadership book? And Tony kind of balked. And I said, wait a minute, I've got pages and pages of notes ready to go on how Tony is as a leader and then other principles. And so, um, so we wrote the mentor leader talking about how you build other leaders, how you mentor people to become leaders. And then recently we wrote a book called, let me see if I can hold it up in the uh, right way, but the soul of a team and it's about team building. And for me, this is a very fun book. We created a fictional team, the Orlando Vipers, um, that is doing everything wrong. And it's a lot of true stories we saw from different coaches, but Tony didn't want to ever embarrass anybody. So we fictionalized it and put it in there and, but basically talked about four elements, being selfless, owning your role, being unified and having a larger purpose that spell out S O U L for the soul of a team, but those being very simple principles that teams can uh, embody and put into practice in order to become uh, better functioning teams. So that's a lot of the speaking I do. And I, as, as, as you mentioned, I do it virtually and I travel the world and I travel the country and really love speaking with teams, with schools, with companies. So-
0: well, let's go in uh, and take it to the next level. Uh, let's talk about the books first. You know, if one of our listeners wants to you know, get one of your books, um, what's the preferred way for them to order a book for you from you?
1: Whatever is best and easiest. They can certainly reach out to me through my website. Um, it's com, And my wife calls it my shrine to me. Um, but they can get it through my website. They also can go to Amazon, any sort of local bookseller. Uh, you know, we've been so fortunate. They're all, every book is still in print. Um, uh, they're still out there. And so they can, they can go to any of those, um, places to find them as well. And, and, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of easy, fast shipping ways that you can get them there. So however they want to do, it, it's great by me.
0: Hey, uh Also, um, you know, many of our listeners are athletic directors. They're always looking for, you know, professional development for their coaches, or as you talked about speaking to parents and, and helping mm-hmm. coach the parents. Um, I'm going to guess the, they can go to your website uh, to find out about speaking, um, you know, bringing you to their school. Right.
1: They can contact me through the website. There are some clips on there um, and I've done everything from, you know for the longest time i did primarily keynotes uh either either school assemblies or um you know i did one the other day at a local high school just 25 minutes on team building for the team before they started their season um but i've also started doing more workshops and then i've started doing some um at a couple of schools have done some like smaller modules where we'll we'll, we'll just take one topic and we'll do it um and we've done four or five of those at a particular school and just kind of delved in some things where they can think about it and we can come back in a week and talk again. Um, the book, The Soul of a Team, uh, because the first, however much of it is is fictional, the end piece is um, is full of questions and things that they can talk about and do with their teams or with each other, or with coaches so that's kind of a there's some value in in there as well, as far as things that they can do exercise wise. but but, yes, I do workshops and and virtual conversations and and then also keynotes, whatever makes sense um, for a particular group.
0: well, as long as we've got you on the podcast, uh, we're, we're going to take advantage of uh, your skill set here, your toolbox. Um, One of the things we try to do is this idea of sharing best practices. So Mm -hmm. in your experience, you know, you division one athlete, very successful program, Super Bowl champ, you know, you spoke all over the country, all over the world. Um, What are some best practices that you've seen that you can share with our listeners that they can put into practice at their schools? Okay,
1: one of the things that I've seen repeatedly in teams that functioned well is where they are. Um, there's a, a spirit of collaboration, or at least of openness, where um, where you're sharing and you're communicating and you're talking through things. Um, I've been with organizations, and I won't name any, but one where we just didn't share. You know, we were doing salary cap information, and we kept it to ourselves, and we didn't share with uh, the scouts who were on the road looking at at uh, players, and that was really hard for us to then value what they were seeing on the field because they didn't have an understanding for what we were doing. We didn't have an understanding there, but it required some trust and some openness to go, okay, here's how my job works. And here's what I need to do and the like. And then I've also seen it with coaches where, um, one of the things, one of the great things I think that Billy Donovan did when he was here at UF, he's become a a good friend, but the former Florida basketball coach is now with the Chicago bulls is he started a breakfast, um, and they still do it at UF, but it's like once a month. Where the head coaches will get together and they'll talk about, here's an issue I've got. Here's something I've got going on with the player. Here's something that's not working for me late in games, and I you know I'm panicking during timeout moments or whatever. These incredibly high level coaches are getting together and sharing, even across sports, things that work, things that don't. Um, and just being willing to be open and to say, Hey, okay, I don't have all the answers. And, you know, Billy started that, I think after his second national championship, and he's like, you know what, there's, there's a lot I should be learning from the volleyball coach. And she's won however many SEC championships. And why am I not picking her brain? And so that spirit of, of being open and talking, and then tied into that is this idea of not being afraid of conflict, um, that. I don't enjoy it. I certainly don't love conflict at all. And I, and I usually try to avoid it, but that's not helpful. And a lot of times that just shows our differences or misunderstandings. And so there are times when there's a conflict on a staff or among different coaches, or, Hey, you know, you're giving all the practice time to this sport and I can't get into the gym or whatever. And then just being able to understand that. Okay. I, you know, it's, I'm glad this is on the surface versus simmering. And let's see if there's a way that we can understand hey, here's the issues they've gotten, the stresses, and here are the issues they've gotten. And we may not get to a resolution, but at least we're being heard and we're talking through it. Um, those are a couple of things that that jump to mind. Um, the other thing, if, if you want a third, um, the other thing that I think is, is this idea of seeing yourself um, in education, <clears throat> whether you're a teacher or an AD or whatever, and not necessarily in an academic way, but seeing that I'm either always learning or I'm teaching. And to the extent that coaches see themselves as teachers, I think is really helpful. This idea of, um, you know, I had a coach say, or Tony actually said at one time, he's, I said, you know, why aren't you calling more timeouts or why aren't you more involved? And he said, you know what? I can't teach during the test, right? Part of what I've got to do is I've got to teach before the test comes so that they're prepared and they're ready for life, for the game, for whatever it is. And so I need to teach and then get them ready to handle situations Um, But then also, you know, John Calipari of Kentucky, uh, I saw a quote the other day where he said, we're not winning and losing, we're winning and learning. And so these experiences where we fail, where we fall short, we need to see those all the time is what can I learn from that? What can I what happened there? And and is there something I can do differently? And it might have changed the outcome, but would I at least um, be better off if I did things differently? And so we're always either learning, teaching or both. And I think that's a really helpful mindset to have.
0: I love it. You know, coaching and teaching, great stuff. Um, For our listeners, our guest, uh, if you haven't been paying attention, is Nathan Whitaker, um, successful author, speaker, uh, motivator. We're going to take another quick break, uh, but we'll be back with some more. This is the Educational AD Podcast. We want to thank Final Forms for their support of the podcast. Final Forms can help you prepare for your best season ever. Final forms can help your stakeholders with uh, things like reminders about policies, about physicals, and all the forms that come when you have an athlete in the house. Final forms can help your coaches with attendance, with communication, and for you as an athletic director, final forms can help with eligibility, with rosters, and all the reports that come across your desk. You know, it's time that you talk to uh, a team that's walked in your shoes, somebody who gets it. Go to finalforms.com Jake that's finalforms.com slash jake find out all the ways that final forms can help you welcome back everyone to the educational ad podcast nathan you and i were talking during the break a little bit and you mentioned that um you know you have a topic that is uh near and dear to you so go ahead and share that with our listeners if you would
1: yeah thanks i appreciate that jake Um uh, wanted to talk a little bit about resilience and toughness mental toughness whatever you want to call it um it, i think in in a lot of ways it's all uh interrelated and i've spoken on that a fair amount um and i'm getting more and more requests to speak on that that there's a lot of anxiety out there there's a lot of i mean just life is hard um there're a lot of challenges going on and so um just some of the things I've learned. I thought I'd just kind of quickly share a couple of things I've learned because, um, you know, it's been great to be on my own and working on my own. But I also sit alone in a room a lot of times when I'm not on the road speaking, and so um, having to kind of sort through some of my own anxiety or or uncertainty about where the next um, paycheck or project may come from, and and sort through all those things. I've learned some of these things firsthand, but then I've also had a chance to talk to coaches and others and and professionals uh, about some of the things that work. And one of the things that was really important for me that may or may not um, resonate with folks is this idea of first world problems, and that I'm not going to have to find clean water today, or I'm not going to have to deal with, um, you know, the Syrian earthquake and, and civil war and some of those things that these unbelievable issues that people are dealing with. And one of the things I had to realize was that these are still problems, right? My first world problems are still problems. And for the longest time, I dismissed them as well. You know what? At least I don't have to find clean water. And so I'd try to push it aside. And these issues that I was having were continuing to bubble up. And I've seen that with my children as well, that you know, on the outside, you look and you go, this is really pretty minimal. And it's just not that big a deal, at least for me looking as their dad going, I, I wouldn't be stressed out about that at all. But they are, and it's real. And so it's not something that I need to dismiss. Then instead, it's something that I need to give myself a little grace for and say, okay, that's all right, that, that I've been wired to, to be concerned about this. And then what's a way to address it? And one of the really positive ways that I've found to address it is to not project the pain forward forever. That whatever it is that's causing me anxiety, causing me whatever, that it's often, we often overestimate how long the pain will last. And we think I'll never be happy again. I'll never dig myself out of this hole. I'll never, whatever it is. When the reality is that if I figure out today, what are some things I need to do today? I won't be where I want to be. The pain, the discomfort, the anxiety may still be there, but I'll at least be on a path and I don't need to project forward and think I'm 54 now. Oh my gosh, when I'm 60 and I'm still dealing with, like you know, whoa, 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 I'm 54 on February 15th, February 18th, whatever day it may be. And then a day from now, um, I'll be that much farther along, but I don't have to necessarily try to figure out what everything's going to look like. Take steps toward the future, but don't race ahead and assume that it's always going to be painful, miserable, whatever, that stay in the moment as much as possible with, here's how I need to work forward. It may be uncomfortable now, but it won't always be uncomfortable.
0: Wow, uh, great philosophy, and, and again, I, I think it's it's one of those things that you know we it. I'm speaking globally, not about you. That you know we we give that advice or we give advice uh, to others, but then sometimes ourselves, it's it's challenging to follow mm-hmm. that in right. the moment. Uh, I, I can see a million times where you know, you, you, like you said, you know, I'm never going to recover from this. Okay, but uh-huh. hey, you do. Okay. Great stuff. Boy, I wish you had a lot more time. This has been so cool getting to know you. And uh, I, again, we're only uh, uh, about an hour and a half apart. So maybe we're going to have to uh, uh, work on that. But we're not done right. yet. Uh, we always like to wrap up with the athletic director's toolbox. Now, you're not an athletic director, but you certainly know your way around the world of athletics. And uh, we're going to take a final break and hear from Athletic Surveys, who sponsor our toolbox segment. When we come back, I'm going to challenge you to send out a brand new athletic director on their very first job, but I'm only going to let you put three things in their toolbox. So um, please stay with us. We're going to find out what Nathan Whitaker is going to put into his athletic director toolbox when we come back. We want to thank Athletic Surveys for their sponsorship of our toolbox segment. Athletic Surveys are a quick, easy, and affordable way For you to collect comprehensive data that allows you to evaluate and improve your entire athletic program. Athletic directors typically only hear from that 2% who want to complain, you know, that squeaky wheel parent or maybe a disgruntled athlete. And we need to hear from them so we can address issues in our program. But we also need to hear from that 98% that really love and support our program and have a great athletic experience. And athletic surveys supplies you with that. Go to athleticsurveys.com and see all the ways that they can create a custom survey for your uh, community. Uh, If you've never taken the pulse of your student athletes or your parents, you're really missing out. Talk to the pros at Athletic Surveys by Lifetrack and let them help you take your athletic program from good to great. Well, it's that time of the podcast. We've been visiting with Nathan Whitaker uh, very successful author, speaker, consultant. And um, now we're going to challenge him to send out a brand new athletic director on their very first job. But we're only going to let him put three things in their toolbox. So Nathan, what three items are going to go into your new athletic director toolbox? Great.
1: Two of them I've touched on and I'll highlight those quickly. and then And then a third. One is to always see yourself in education. You're either teaching or learning or both. And to see yourself as how can I grow? How can I learn from this experience? How can I grow from new materials, new things I'm running across? And then how can I be communicating and teaching those things to others? That's the first is to see yourself in that mindset of that growth mindset to be learning and teaching. Second, I touched on actually in that answer, and that's to communicate, to make sure you're willing to communicate. It's funny, we spend a lot of time with the uh, with the squeaky wheel and, and the uh, company who just sponsored this segment, Athletic Surveys, talked about how to deal with the squeaky wheel. But the important thing that they touched on was, um, how do you deal with the folks who aren't squeaky? And how do you value their voice? I had a professor recently talk to me about a stay interview, he calls it. And what do you do not when somebody's exiting, but what if you've got a loyal employee who's going to stay? How do you make sure you hear them? And are you intentionally sitting down with that coach who's always going to be there, always going to be in your corner and find out from them, hey, what would work better? What can I do better around here? Or what's going really well? Or whatever it is. But not only then reward, if you will, the people who are complaining, but also to go to the people who are there, who are staying. And then maybe it keeps them staying longer. If they feel like they're heard. it certainly would make me feel that way. But also there's a chance for growth and a chance for them to come up with ideas. And so the more you're communicating and not fearing that conflict, but being willing to hear people out and to hear those differing things. The third that's kind of been underlying a lot of what I've been saying, whether it's been Judge Hodges or Tony Dungy or Tim Tebow or, or my parents, is this idea of values and to never lose sight of your values, to know what they are and then not lose sight of them. That are a lot of times when somebody or situation or whatever will come across and you'll say, okay, well, you know what? Nobody really saw that. Or yes, we might've gotten extra time on the clock or whatever it may be. And it's a chance for you and your coaches and your students to stand up and say, you know what, here's the right answer. And I'm going to live the rest of my life with this right answer, whatever it may be. And to move ahead with that. Um, and to understand that, you know, we're playing hard, we're playing by the rules, we're doing whatever, but to not lose sight of our values, whether it's how much time we're spending at the office, how much time we're spending at home, whatever it may be, but to remember your values and to stick with those, because uh, holding on to that anchor is never going to uh, disappoint you.
0: Wow. Uh, I don't know if you noticed I was scribbling down notes again. Great, great stuff. That, thanks so much for sharing that. One more time, if one of our listeners wants to reach out, um, find out more uh, about the books or possibly have you come to their school, uh, what's the best way they can get hold of you? Sure. It's, it's uh,
1: www.nathanwhittaker.com. That's Whitaker with one T. If you got any questions to how to spell my name, you can uh, go to Amazon and look up Tony Dungy's book and And go to the cover and find the teeny tiny print the with Nathan Whitaker part, Uh, but you can contact me through my website. I would love to answer emails come talk to your school do whatever. Uh, But you can find out the different books the different resources and then contact me through that so and then also on social media but, but the websites probably the easiest spot for purposes of this.
0: Nathan Whitaker, uh, author, speaker, consultant, Super Bowl champion, and ACC champion. We want to throw that in there, too. Thanks so much for being on the podcast and all the best moving forward. Great. Thank you so much, Jake. I really appreciate it and all that you do. Oh, well, thank you. This has been great. For listeners, we appreciate you tuning in. And uh, we upload every episode to the Educational AD Podcast YouTube channel. Come back next time for another great guest and uh, make sure you check out our other episodes on the educational AD podcast. Thanks again. I hope you enjoyed that episode. You know, please visit Nathan's website and check out uh, his books. Uh, just outstanding uh, series of books that he's collaborated with Tony Dungy on uh, as always, we appreciate you listening. Check out our sponsors um, and uh, we'll see you next time on the Educational AD Podcast.